This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What up? This is Robert Ory. You might know me as Big Shot Bob, and I want you to check out my new podcast, The Big Shot Bob Pod. We'll always be talking hoops, football, sports, and I'm going to bring you some big guests like Lakers legend Shaquille O'Neal in our premiere episode. I know I didn't come in to train and count the best of shape, but... Well, well you I'm, did one time. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, 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 well. Subscribe now to The Big Shot Bob Pod on the Podcast One app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends, to this latest edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and this week I actually do have a co-host again as Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score, the I'm Fat Podcast, and The Big 50, the excellent new book about the Blackhawks. He's back in the co-host chair, Jay. How are you faring after uh, being in the hot seat uh, for my blazing hot interview questions? <laughs> I'm feeling good, man. I think we moved some books, which is kind of the idea. Um, no, it's been good. It's been a week since my book was released, and it's been doing really well. So thank you to everybody who's ordered. If you have not ordered yet, you can do so literally anywhere books are sold. I had a friend send me a picture of my book on the shelf at Barnes & Noble the other day. If you're in the Mount Greenwood area or the Homewood area, there are signed copies available at Bookies Bookstores. There's Bookies on Ridge Road in Homewood, and there's one on Western Avenue in Mount Greenwood, Beverly. So there's some there. You can go to BookiesBookstores.com. You can get it at Amazon. Or if you want a signed personalized copy, which a lot of you have done, it's really great for the holidays, by the way, MadhousePod.com slash book. Speaking of Madhouse Pod, you can follow us on Twitter at Madhouse Pod, Instagram, Madhouse underscore pod. Facebook is Madhouse Hockey CHI. And uh, we're on Patreon at Madhouse Pod. And don't forget, I, I need to do a better job of pro promoting this. I got to mention it several times. We have a merchandise shop with lots of cool stuff available. It's powered by our friends at Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris 708 478 6090. MadhousePodMerch.com. We've got hoodies, we've got baseball tees, we've got regular t-shirts, uh, all sorts of great stuff on madhousepodmerch.com. So if you're a fan of the podcast or you know a fan of the podcast you have to buy a gift for, go to madhousepodmerch.com and get them some Madhouse Pod swag. There's lots of good stuff on there and more to come. We're really, really excited about our merch store. I need to be better about promoting it because I have dropped the ball on that. Um, but I just feel like uh, with the book and everything else, I'm asking everybody for a lot. So um, I got to do a better job. But yeah, MadhousePodMerch.com. Lots of great stuff on there. 
uh, really happy that we were able to get that launched with our friends at Triple Threat Sports. Yeah, lots of lots of great stuff, obviously, going on with the podcast. We've been very focused on uh, your book, Jay, and I, like I told you uh, on the podcast last week, I really did enjoy it. I really do think that it's a fantastic gift for the Blackhawks fan in your life, and you know we got a lot of good feedback on that interview, uh, too, so good job to you. Uh, thank you to all the Blackhawks fans who tuned into that podcast and who have bought Jay's book. I know it doesn't impact me financially at all that you're doing that, but it makes me feel proud of Jay, knowing that he's given you guys something wonderful to read and to discuss while we're kind of in this hockey off-season time. This was the big week, Jay. This was the big Adidas reverse retro jersey reveal week which got everybody's tongues wagging and got everybody's opinions flowing freely. The Chicago Blackhawks, one of the teams, of course, that did release one of those new jerseys to basically silence because not a not a real uh, spirited entry, I would say, into their pantheon of jerseys. They went with the, I believe it's the 30s and 40s vintage uh, circle logo on the jerseys with the slightly more, uh, I guess you would call it realistic and less cartoony Native American image. A little I more guess. A, a feminine, too. I think it's a, a female Native American. I believe that is correct. It's hard. To, it was hard to tell because they didn't publicize it very well, mm-hmm. something we will discuss. And I think just my overall uh, thought on the jersey is that at this point, if they haven't gone back to the barber pole design, they're not going to ever and much to my chagrin, and I just, I don't know, they, this jersey did not exactly inspire a whole lot of, oh, I need to rush out and buy that right away. What about you? No, I like it. I'm not I'm not disappointed in it at all. I just, We sort of had a tease that they're, well, they're sort of following a pattern with some of the older, especially the original six teams seem to have similar-ish style choices. The, the separate shoulders from the rest of the jersey has never been a Blackhawks thing, so that surprised me they went with that a little bit. But overall, it's fine. It's not bad. It's not good. I, I like it a little better than the old Blackhawks jerseys they used to wear in the 90s and 2000s, so I'll take a change. But I don't know. It's just it's not the greatest. I, it didn't blow me away, but I'm not mad about it either. I do think that it looks like a jersey that could be worn like by a fan very casually it doesn't have the absolute sports jersey look that a lot of hawks jerseys do like this can sort of fade into your wardrobe a little better like you wear a hoodie Mm -hmm. underneath it it would look like part of the hoodie there's a little less going on than usual but i like it i don't love it i'm not going to run out and buy it but i'm excited to see how it's going to look on the ice i want to see the whole thing together but there's some teams that did a really good job with this and some teams well it's not the teams it's adidas that does it and I'm sure the teams have some say, like, here's, a, you know, Adidas will come to them with several ideas and they'll pick their favorite or whatever. What was your favorite of the group you saw? So, well, we've seen all 31. Which ones were your favorite? I will say again that my, it would probably rank in the middle for me for the Blackhawks. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't actively hate it. Yeah, it's it's just it's kind of bland and boring. Like, it's just it's kind of one of those things that. I know the Blackhawks don't exactly have like the widest variety of logos and looks to kind of choose from. It's not like they went into a huge 90s phase, really, like some teams did looking at you, New York Islanders. <laughs> I, I think that the Blackhawks kind of went with a safer alternative. And I, I saw somebody had made the comment that 
the jerseys look like those kind of off-brand jerseys that they offer at like Kohl's that aren't like the actual jerseys, but are just kind of like the pedestrian, like knockoff version. You're and right. I thought that that was pretty apt. And I'm not, again, not saying that it's a bad jersey at all. Just saying that like they probably could have gone a little bit more creative with it. I don't know. Kind of middle of the road for me. But I will say that the jerseys that really stood out to me were there's three of them that I would say are probably my top three and all the other ones are kind of scrambling for positioning. My number one by a mile, I feel like, is the Los Angeles Kings. Who I think the purple jersey, you know, probably evocative. It's what the 60s and 70s they wore the purple to combine that with the Kings logo from the late 80s and early 90s, the iconic logo that showed up everywhere in pop culture at that time, to combine those two things I thought was exactly, exactly what the NHL and Adidas were going for with this whole reverse retro thing or whatever it was. Like There wasn't really a defined kind of ethos about all of that, but I felt like that to me was exactly what teams should have done, incorporate different things from their history and to put them together. And I thought that they did that in a really good way. Another team that really did that, I thought really well was the Colorado avalanche. And we're going to get into this discussion a little bit in terms of appropriating logos from previous iterations of your team and whether or not it's a good thing or not. I did really like the way the avalanche tied in their color scheme now to the Quebec Nordiques logo. I, I'm glad they didn't go with just a straight up Nordiques jersey. I felt like that would have been kind of lazy and I wouldn't have been a big fan of that. So I'm glad they incorporated their color scheme and the Nordiques logo into something cool and unique. Um, and I also did really like the Arizona Coyotes jerseys, bringing back the kind of the cartoonized version of the Kachina logo and like adding the purple and the orange. I thought that that was a great kind of homage to their origins in the Valley and how they used to share an arena with the Phoenix Suns and all of this other stuff. I thought that that, again, it kind of captured what they wanted to do with reverse retro. And I did really appreciate that the Coyotes went that way. Also, I, I should say honorable mention to the Pittsburgh Penguins. I really their jersey was kind of – it wasn't like the most outlandish jersey that the Penguins have ever used, but I loved the 60s vintage feel of it, and I did like that they didn't go back to Robot Penguin or anything like that, which is a fine logo, you know, but I did like that they went all the way back in the history of the Penguins, so honorable mention to them. So that's my long-winded uh, you know, <laughs> feedback on the jerseys, Jay. I'm sure we'll get into some of the ones that – we thought were bad, but what were some of your favorites? Uh, I agree with you with the Kings. That's my favorite one. Uh, it's got it looks like the Lakers, the purple and the yellow. They've worn it before. The Kings have, but you're right. The old retro, the Gretzky Kings logo looks great right in the middle of that thing. That's my favorite. I love the Canadians where they flip the blue and the red, so it's a more blue jersey than red. Love that. Now they're gonna. I wonder if they're gonna wear different colored pants now because they typically wear blue pants. So maybe they'll get some red pants to wear with that. I'm looking forward to that. Obviously, Carolina went with the old Hartford jerseys. And I'm just from the preview, it doesn't look white. It looks like a light gray with white, blue, and green trim. Like that one a lot. And the one that surprised me, the Minnesota Wild. 
it's basically a wild jersey, but they made it with the North Stars colors with the bright green and the bright yellow. I think that looks really, really, really nice. I'm I, I'm impressed by that one. I've also never been a huge fan of the Rangers Statue of Liberty logo, but they did a good job with this one because it's sort of a minimalist jersey. So the sleeves just have like pretty subtle three stripes on the elbows and the rest is all navy. So I think the Rangers one looks good with that busy Statue of Liberty logo. But I think for the most part, aside from the Ducks, mm-hmm. which is the cartoon crashing out of the ice duck and the terrible Comic Sans font, I, I'm pretty happy with what they did here. I, every, I think most teams did a pretty decent job. There were a few teams that I kind of looked at their jerseys and just went, what are you guys doing? And the first one on that list for me is the New York Islanders, who basically took their, like, 2008 vintage jerseys and just, like, used that. Like, there's no real, like, spin to it at all. I thought that that was really boring. I thought the obvious uh, answer for them would have been to potentially take the fisherman design and to bring that back. Even if you wanted to, like, maybe add some elements of the Brooklyn era uh, Islanders jersey with the black and the silver, maybe use that with the fisherman. I thought that could have been at least interesting yeah. to me. The Islanders look Jersey just looks exactly the same, same thing. I think with the Edmonton Oilers, I know there were some subtle changes with Edmonton's jerseys, but I still thought that they could have done something a little bit different and more unique. Although I guess they've kind of already gone the outlandish route and used that stupid orange for their primary jerseys. So whatever, I guess we're good with that. And then I also was kind of disappointed with the Red Wings. Like I just, I don't know. It's your basically your practice jersey with gray sleeves. That's pretty much all they did. And it's like, meh. I guess there's not a lot you can pull from with the Red Wings either, but I also thought that one was kind of boring. And also, it cannot go unsaid. The What are you doing, Maple Leafs? It honestly looked like the person who was modeling their jersey was wearing a poncho. It looked like it hadn't been like stylized at all with the Adidas cuts or anything. And the logo choice was really bad, too. So the I'd say the Maple Leafs are probably right there with the Islanders for the jersey that I'm just like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, that, that logo is pretty trash on the Maple Leafs. You're right about the Red Wings, too. It's just boring. It doesn't pop at all. You're right. It looks like a practice jersey. All right, let's get to the elephant in the room here, though. With this rollout that the NHL is very excited about, um, they reveal all 31 teams. They show you the logos very clearly. They went out of their way to obscure or flat out not show the Blackhawks logo. And we've had this discussion a lot. I think our positions on this are very well documented. But when you get to the point where the league is having feelings about your logo and is not outwardly acknowledging, but acknowledging that the logo is problematic, I wonder if this is going to... Uh, hasten a change in the Blackhawks logo. And you and I talked about this last week or whenever it was this reverse retro thing. I guess with it, when retro, you can't go back to a logo you never had. Right. But they can go back to that old Blackhawk battalion logo, the Eagle with the crest that says BH in it. They could have done that and they could still come out with a third Jersey. That is an alternate logo and start to phase that in and see how people feel about it. When the NHL is rolling out their big campaign for these new jerseys for all 31 teams and they show yours 
with the models back to the camera, <laughs> that's telling you that the league is aware that it's problematic. And I wonder, like I said, if this is going to sort of hustle a change in here. I know some people don't want it to happen, but I promise you, if the Blackhawks change their logo, they're still going to be the Blackhawks. You're still going to have your memories. You can keep all your old gear if you want. Nothing's going to change in your life. The Washington football team, they're still there. They're still playing, right? It Nothing changed that that logo went away. So I know it sucks. I know people don't uh, – it sucks to some people. wouldn't suck to me, but I, I it just – it's so time for this to happen. It is so time for it to happen. And uh, this was an opportunity. I think it was an opportunity missed by the Hawks. See, I'm going to disagree with that particular part of it. I think that the, the unveiling of a new logo, like I think you hit it when you said that they could do it as a third Jersey potentially and kind of slow, like slow pace, the rollout of the new look. Yeah. I don't know if reverse retro, like the whole like yeah. promotional thing, I feel like it kind of would have gotten lost in the wash if they had kind of done that right now. And I do think that the NHL and Adidas were probably sending a signal about the future of the logo. The what Jay, what Jay was saying is that in the promotional like photos and stuff for this, the NHL posted 31 different photos or whatever of the jerseys the Blackhawks jersey was the only one that they did not show the front of in those photos. And then if you see the teaser video that the Blackhawks had posted with the new design, the model was very clearly avoiding a direct full-on shot with the logo in frame. So it seemed pretty apparent that they were trying to avoid showing that. And I know that like it may come off as conspiracy theory-ish or whatever, but I do think that the Blackhawks and the logo were – deliberately obscured in all of this so if you if you think it's if you think it's conspiracy theory someone and i think it was the league posted a graph of all 31 in a row and you see them all forward facing except the blackhawks that's what i'm saying yeah like they're that to me like that's not a coincidence no absolutely not and i saw it was written about in sports illustrated today usa today wrote about it i think uh the black girl hockey club wrote about it so there is there's some attention on this, and I don't know if if this maybe backfired on the league, but it was so obvious that they were avoiding showing the logo that maybe it's become a story when it wouldn't have before, mm-hmm. right? Who knows? Who knows? But um, I just think that, like I said, if you've got the league actively, you know, even if they're not publicly stating it, avoiding showing your logo, yeah, it, it's time. It's time to make a change. Ultimately, ultimately, my point, I think, is that if the Blackhawks are going to roll out a new logo and all of that, I do think that they should do it on their own terms Agreed. and not something that's being promoted by all 31 teams in this way. I think that I do still think that those conversations are still being had, and I do think that it is inevitable that it is going to happen at some point. It's just a matter of... Of when, and I will also point out, by the way, the Washington football team, you might as well just keep that name and you might as well keep that color scheme because it kind of works. Like the logo and the, the jerseys and all of that and the helmets, it all looks really flipping cool. I would be totally fine if they kept that. Yeah, totally agree. I agree with that. Um, man, we got some big news with a couple of our sponsors, James. Uh, let's do, let's do Dr. Squatch first. Cause this is big. All right. They've been, you know, Dr. Squatch, the natural soap company made in the USA. 
I'm a huge fan. James is a huge fan. Everyone that signed up for Dr. Squatch is a huge fa- is a huge fan. Finally, at the request of their fans, they have launched a new line of natural deodorant. The Fresh Falls scent, the Bay Rum scent, and the Alpine Sage scent. I have placed my order immediately, waiting for it to arrive. It should be here in a couple days, definitely by the next time we record. Head to DrSquatch.com. Check out their all-new natural deodorants. They're selling them in bundles, too, so you can get three bars of soap and all three deodorants if you want. It's a great deal. If you want to save on your order, enter that promo code MADHOUSE20, and you'll save 20% on your order and help the podcast at the same time. The other thing about Dr. Squatch, if you haven't tried it before, the holidays are approaching. You've got that man in your life, your dad, your uncle, whoever, that's really, really hard to buy for. Dr. Squatch makes a perfect gift. It's perfect. It's a really nice product. It's high quality. The person who receives it is going to know it's not a cheapo gift. It's not something you picked up at the dollar store. This is high quality stuff here, handmade in the USA, like I said. DrSquatch.com. Take that Squatch quiz in the top right corner. It'll help you steer your first order. What are the sort of things you're looking for? What are the scents you like? What's going to be the best fit for you or the person you're buying for? When you're ready to check out again, enter that promo code MADHOUSE20 and you'll save 20% on your order. This is the Jay Zawoski and James Naveau guarantee. If you try Dr. Squatch, you're going to love it. You're going to become a subscriber. It's time to join Squatch Nation. Get your friends and your family in on Squatch Nation this holiday season. DrSquatch.com, promo code MADHOUSE20. I promise you, you're going to love it. My favorites are the Cool Fresh Aloe. Uh, the Drunken Pumpkin, which I think might be gone. That was a limited time one. And the uh, Cold Brew Cleanse. Those are my favorites. So pick those up. Pick up whatever you want. Madhouse20 at checkout at DrSquatch.com. I make a joke about wanting to take a shower now, but I'm dead serious that Dr. Squatch rules. So I, I will not make the joke. My So my, just truly, my podcast office is back-to-back with my bathroom downstairs, which is where I shower in the morning. And every time I come down the stairs, I'm greeted by the lovely smell of Squatch. It's amazing. My whole basement smells good because I shower down here with Dr. Squatch. And I have the four-bar, the four-wide soap saver in my shower. So every morning, I pick which one I want to use. Right now, I've got the pine tar, the cool fresh aloe, I've got the uh, drunken pumpkin, and I've got the Mars bar. I found an old Mars bar that I had stashed and every morning I'm like, hmm, how do I want to smell today? <laughs> and you, there's not a bad choice to make, truly. DrSquatch.com, promo code Madhouse. Okay, a couple other things to get to. Uh, if you missed it, Brent Seabrook was the subject of a Pierre Lebrun piece for The Athletic this week. Really great stuff. It talks about uh, his recovery. Seabrook says that he's he feels better now than he's felt in a really, really long time. And he seems hyper-motivated to make this team. And he said he knows that he's coming into camp fighting for a roster spot like he was when he was a rookie. And that's his mindset. So who knows what that's going to bring. The other thing about the article is Brent Seabrook went through a lot of really difficult personal things over the last few years. And look, every hockey player goes through those things. But Brent Seabrook is a closed book. That's not a guy who talks very often. So to see Seabrook open up in this piece with Pierre Lebrun was really, really cool. Uh, and I think it's it's sort of an insight into the mind of Brent Seabrook. So if you haven't checked it out, it's on The Athletic. Pierre Lebrun wrote it. I tweeted it a couple days ago. 
uh, must read for Blackhawks fans. And it does give me a little bit of hope just reading about how Brent was before the surgeries and now how he is after just waking up in the morning, getting along with life, all those sort of things. It does give me some encouragement that he's going to be a better player now than he was when he went away. I think he's going to be half a step faster or just overall feeling better. So there is some hope for me that if Brent Seabrook's going to be part of this team, that he could actually be someone that helps instead of someone that hinders. Yeah, and I think that was obviously, aside from the kind of more emotional stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into, I felt I felt like that was kind of the big takeaway is that he definitely said that he hasn't felt this good in a decade, says he feels like he's 19 years old again. He seems very motivated to make the team. And I think that latter thing ended up being a really kind of something that stood out to me because I know that there was a lot of like kind of frustration on the part of some of the Blackhawks players, the way that Seabrook was kind of ushered out of the lineup at times. And I know that he could have obviously definitely taken that to heart, requested a trade, done whatever, but it does seem like he's kind of motivated to kind of, you know, stick it to Jeremy Colleton at least a little bit and to kind of force his way back into the lineup. I think that a motivated Brent Seabrook, and like you said, a faster and healthier Brent Seabrook can only be a good thing for a Blackhawks team that does need their blue line to kind of step up in a big way in the coming season. And that's definitely the vibe that I got from Seabrook is that he's both of those things. And I love that he is that motivated. I'm not going to say that I'm expecting a lot out of him, you know, like kind of the plus 35 defenseman who's been several steps slow the last few seasons. I'm not saying I'm expecting some kind of late career renaissance where he becomes a top two or three defenseman again, but if he can be like a solid number five defenseman, I know that the salary is never going to match the production with him. I still think that that's a huge boost to the Blackhawks, and it definitely gives them some cover if a guy like Adam Boquist struggles in his development or if Ian Mitchell's a little bit slow coming into his own in the NHL. I think that that gives them a lot of flexibility, and it definitely gives them some cover if that happens. And reading his comments, at least about his health and his speed and his enthusiasm for the game, definitely makes it sound like he's not just kind of willing to ride off into the sunset. And I do think that I know it's just words at this point, but if that translates into action, that is absolutely huge for the Blackhawks. Yeah, in the personal things we mentioned, his longtime uh, best friend and trainer, Scott Hebert, uh took his own life uh, in 2018, in March of 2018, uh, and that was really, really hard for Seabrook to deal with. Um, and he tells the story that Hebert's wife told Brent it was the night of his thousandth game, and Brent had wanted uh, Scott to be there. And obviously, having taken his own life, he couldn't have been there. But Scott's wife told Brent, he'll be there. You'll know he's there. That was the night that Scott Foster took the net for the Blackhawks. And before he went in, Brent Seabrook introduced himself. He said, hey, I'm Brent. You know, good luck. He's like, yeah, my name's Scott. And to Brent, that was a sign that Scott Aber was sort of looking down on him that night. So that remember that. That, that was Brent Seabrook's 1,000th game as a Hawk. And that was the night Scott uh, um, Scott Foster was put in net. The other thing was his dad, Brent Seabrook's father, was going through some um, almost like stroke-like symptoms they described him as. He was forgetting where he was, very confused, and uh, he was diagnosed with this uh, very rare um, uh, condition that the Blackhawks doctors helped them diagnose, and everything's fine now. 
but Brent was going through those things uh, as he was playing, as he was trying to play, and that those sort of things are the things that, as fans and as analysts, we can sometimes lose sight of or not even be aware of. Um, so that definitely had an effect on on him personally and mentally and emotionally. And obviously, when you have those things going on, it leads to physical uh, problems as well. So hopefully, now with the surgeries in the rearview mirror and some time to heal from the personal things, uh, Brent Seabrook will be back to being like James said a solid number five or number six, just in case Boquist or Mitchell or whoever is not quite ready to contribute yet. Yeah. I mean, the obviously reading Brent got very emotional in the interview and I know that he's kind of always been the rah, rah guy with the Blackhawks. He's always the one kind of firing guys up. He's definitely been, if Jonathan Taves has kind of been the more quiet leader, Brent Seabrook has always been the more vocal guy, but it's not something where he's been very open about his personal life. And I thought that it was very interesting seeing him kind of open up to Pierre Lebrun in the way that he did. And he obviously got very emotional talking about the passing of his best friend and talking about the struggles his dad had with autoimmune encephalitis, just like this, these kind of back-to-back whammies that he had to deal with. And Jay, you and I have talked a lot on this podcast about the human side of things and kind of encouraging everybody to kind of remember that these are ultimately human beings that are playing this game. And it was definitely interesting to see that side of Brent Seabrook, too. Uh, it was very easy to get emotional reading about Seabrook talking about all of these things. For and sure. Yeah. It just kind of hits home, like the importance of having that solid family base and how difficult it is to kind of get through that when – you know, you're going through periods of struggle and especially when you're kind of in this hyper, you know, focused atmosphere of the NHL where all eyes are on you going through that kind of stuff in the public eye has to be really hard. And it definitely gave a great perspective into Brent Seabrook. And obviously I'm sure Jay and I would highly recommend that you, you know, read that story in the athletic and Pierre Lebrun did a really good job of kind of bringing all of the different facets of that conversation to the forefront when he talked to Brent. The other bit of news I wanted to get to, uh, there's a couple. We want to get to the uh, proposed schedule situation. We're also going to enter some emails. We haven't done that in a while, so we got a handful of emails we're going to get to. Uh, this sort of slipped through the cracks last week. The story came out. Jeremy Cowan was making the rounds on some podcasts. Not this one. <laughs> I didn't really ask, to be honest. But, <laughs> hey, we'd love to talk to Jeremy Cowan if he wants to. Um, that he uses Scotty Bowman as a big source of advice and input. And that, to me, was a little bit surprising, especially considering how Sam Bowman was talking a lot about Jeremy and the way he coaches and all those things. And we even asked Stan on this podcast, like, what is the level of involvement your dad has with the team? And Stan didn't mention that him and Jeremy communicate on a regular basis. Look, I know that people are down on the Bowmans, but if there's a coach I'm asking for advice hockey-wise it's probably Scotty Bowman. I think that <laughs> that's a guy with some qualifications that I would say, okay, he probably knows a thing or two about the right things to do here and there, even though he's he's quite removed from the game. But what Stan Bowman told us was that Scotty watches more hockey than anybody. That's pretty much all he does anymore is watch hockey. So to hear that, Jer- that Jeremy Cowton leans on Stan Bo- or Scotty Bowman for coaching advice, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. Maybe Stan didn't know. Maybe that was like a revelation to him. <laughs> like He's like, dad's been talking to Colleton behind my back. Hey, your, dun, son's dun, a, dun. your son's a real idiot. Look, can I just talk to you instead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We've, we're causing drama here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast today. This is a revelation, man. Yeah, I did find that interesting that like they kind of have gone through this 
cycle of making those guys available to the media. And it, I guess it would stand to reason that he would end up having those guys, like that Colleton would come out and discuss these things. And it's been fascinating watching the Blackhawks kind of discuss all of this amid all of the uncertainty around COVID, which we will get to in the next segment. But I, I agree with you that those were kind of the, some of the things that were standing out to me about Jeremy were just kind of his attitude about player development his relationship with Scotty Bowman, it did kind of pique my interest because, like you said, Jay, we're still – we've gotten some answers about Scotty's involvement with the team, but we obviously don't know the full extent of it. And I just – I thought that all of that stuff was really interesting, and I did kind of love that Jeremy kind of went on a little bit of a, you know, media tour after Stan's big uh, red carpet rollout all around the Blackhawks, you know, blogosphere and – podcast sphere is that a word I don't even know but I, I thought that was interesting that Jeremy kind of made the rounds after that and was discussing some of those things yeah it's to me that's an encouraging thing that a young coach is looking for advice I think you could find some scenarios where younger coaches are so uh, defensive about proving themselves and showing everybody how smart they are that they don't ask for advice uh, so the fact that Calton is heady enough to say all right I got I have this resource I might as well use it to me, that's a really good thing. All right, let's take a quick time out. Before we do, I mentioned big news for our sponsors, Fry the Coop. Friends, if you're in Prospect Heights, it's five days away. November 22nd, Fry the Coop opens in Prospect Heights. You are going to have access to the finest Nashville hot chicken you've ever had. But if you're in Oakland, you're in Elmhurst, you're in Westtown, you already know about Fry the Coop, the hot chicken tenders. The donut chicken sandwich, the chicken and waffles, everything at Fry the Coop is fresh. It's made to order. It's never frozen. The ingredients are made in-house. Fry the Coop is the best Nashville hot chicken I've ever had, and I've had them all. Tinley Park, that'll be open by the end of the year. So Fry the Coop, despite the pandemic, despite everything going on, is thriving, and they're thriving because they're taking care of their customers and they're taking care of their staff. They've got pickup windows. You walk right up. Everybody's wearing a mask. You say your name. They hand you your order, and you walk out. Order online at frythecoop.com, and go place your go pick up your order through their window. It could not be easier. It could not be safer. Frythecoop.com. Frythecoop. Come get your happiness at Frythecoop. November 22nd, Prospect Heights. Let's go. Get excited. You're going to love it. Frythecoop. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the ideas about the new NHL schedule with the season still on target for January 1st, and we'll answer some of your emails here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Simplify your federal agency's technology procurement with Connection Public Sector Solutions. Connection's dedicated account managers, commitment to exceptional customer service, and extensive catalog of federal contracts make IT purchases quick, easy, and affordable. Turn your challenges into opportunities and get rid of your technology pain points with Connection today. Learn more about what's possible with Connection Public Sector Solutions at connection.com slash fedcontracts. London Stock Exchange Group is here to be your essential global markets infrastructure and data partner, where open isn't just a platform, but a philosophy, giving you the freedom to make your mark in the world. LSEG, open makes more possible. Welcome in, friends, again to this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. I'm James Naveau. He's Jay Zawoski. We've been talking about all things Blackhawks, of course. We've been talking about their new jersey. We've been talking about Brent Seabrook. We've talked about Jeremy Colleton. Now it's time to throw a little bit of a wider gaze at the rest of the NHL and to take a look at a very simple question. 
when the heck are we going to see NHL hockey again? It's something that we've obviously discussed quite a bit on this show. Still don't have a ton of clarity yet on when the NHL will resume play, but we have seen some rumblings, I will say, in this last week. Uh, Bill Daly, the NHL's deputy commissioner, uh, has said in interviews recently that the season could start as early as January 1st. So we're looking potentially at about another month and a half. Uh, Two-week mandatory training camp for most teams and for those who weren't in the bubble, they would get an extra week. The other thing that obviously needs to be decided is whether the NHL is going to play in its own arenas or if it's going to do the hub cities. The NHL has said they do remain flexible on that. So I guess that is kind of a good place to start this conversation, Jay, is we obviously still don't have a start date yet for the NHL. We're not sure yet on what's going on in terms of when the NHL is going to start, where it's going to start. So amid all of these reports, Jay, I guess the big question to you is what what do you see the NHL potentially doing? Like what is your kind of belief right now, I guess, with all of the stuff that we've seen from the NHL? What do you think the most likely scenario is for kind of the restart of the season? So first of all, it should be said that I think COVID now is worse than it's ever been. Um, I know 13 people currently with COVID 13 people that I know personally, fortunately, none of which I've had any contact with over the last few months, but it's scary. It's raging out of control right now, but we're also hopeful about a vaccine. So, and and I think Fauci said within the next month, they'll start distributing vaccines. So that's good. The most realistic thing I think if we're going on sort of the world as it was when hockey was last played, I think hub cities are really great in theory, but when you're looking at it a full season, it becomes really, really hard to do that. I think the most likely scenario is you have extended two or three game series with teams at home, um, and they have in every arena gets used, but it's empty. I think that's probably the most likely thing until the vaccine is is widely available to everybody. Then who knows what that looks like, but. I don't think a hub city is for the good of the players, mental health for the good of the players, families, for all those reasons. I think hub cities are really, really tough to justify. You'd also have to have, I mean, if you said you're going to have four hub cities, you'd probably just have to have inter hub playoffs. Right. And then, which could be fun. It could be fun. Like, you know, the West hub playoffs, the central hub playoffs, the North, the South, whatever. And then have those four, champions be the final four NHL teams wherever you decide that hub would be that could be something but I think the most likely thing is the Jonathan Taves model of okay we're flying to um, Detroit we're going to play the Red Wings twice we're flying to Vegas we're going to play the Knights three times right and then it reduces the carbon footprint which is what Taves wanted to do all along but I also think we're limiting travel and keeping teams in a loca- in a central spot for a few days is maybe a little more reasonable than you're in the you're in a bubble for 60 games or whatever it's going to be that to me is not sustainable i don't think that can work i would agree with you i don't it seems like to me the nhl wants to try to avoid the bubbles as much as they can because even though they know it's going to work they also know that it's pretty unrealistic to assume that players are going to want to be away from their families for that long when it's just regular season games. They hated it. They hated it. I think Wyshynski and Emily Kaplan wrote 
like tales from the bubble, like or whatever it was, anonymous stories from the bubble. The players did not enjoy it. Even the players that were there for a short amount of time, it was not what was promised. There was not like, oh, scheduled activities. No. They felt like they were basically in, in fancy prisons. <laughs> it seems like to me that the NHL is probably going to go with the MLB model. It seems like they're probably going to go with the the series, like you said. And they're also going to ca- probably limit their travel to, I'm guessing, divisional teams. And I will say that I do think the more likely scenario here is probably that the NHL is going to do, I'm guessing, three American divisions and then one Canadian division. I definitely think that that's probably going to end up happening just to kind of minimize travel back and forth across the border. I think that that's probably going to be the best way for the NHL to at least start this out. And they did say that they will adjust the schedule as needed if they think that they can be more flexible, they can start allowing fans into stadiums. It seems to me that the NHL is basically saying the 2020-21 season is going to be a little bit different. And I think that if play, as long as players aren't going to get put back into bubbles, I think that they're probably going to end up riding along with that. And I think that, that they want to get this NHL season done. I think they're going to do probably 60 games would be my guess, like that 60 to 65 game range. They want to get this done before the Summer Olympics and in a way that they can start next October and have as regular of a season as possible in the 2021-22 campaign. That's the hope, man. I hope I hope they can figure out a way. I hope they can do it safely. And it's, it's weird. Like, we have to sort of suspend disbelief when we do the podcast because we know that just the way things are going right now, sports are not important. But I do think that they are beneficial for people to have, right? And for people to watch, it's just you got to protect your players, you got to protect their families. That's most important. But I think, you know, the vaccine news is hopeful. I think that it would just be a good idea, just even if it's out, just to say no fans for this season. Just, just do the smart thing. Be as safe as you possibly can, and then hopefully for the 2021-22 season, things start on time with full arenas, and we can all get back to normal life. But man. Whatever happens, I just hope we get some hockey, uh, and I hope that the players are protected. All right, you want to do some emails here? I always want to do emails, Jay. Well, you never tell me that. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's just kind of assumed at this point. I feel like I shouldn't have to say it, but, you know, whatever. Let's get to them. I I want to hear from our fans. Email the guys at madhousepod at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at madhousepod. The email segment, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Marishka's in Crest Hill, 604 Theodore Street, family-owned and operated since 1933, day one, sponsors to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. And let me tell you, we've talked about small businesses being affected by this pandemic. Marishka's is among them. They could use your support. Their dining room is closed right now, uh, and they're offering takeout, of course, as they always do. So if you're in the area, if you want to head out that way and place an order with Marishka's, it would be greatly appreciated by us. And, of course, the Zadralovich family uh, suffered a loss in the family. Uh, the patriarch of the family passed away this week, so our thoughts and prayers are with the Zadralovich family uh, in this difficult time. So go support our friends in Crest Hill. Get the poor boy. Get the twice-baked potato. Get the mountain of onion rings. James's favorite, the Yodel Burger. Uh, really, everything on the menu is absolutely fantastic. They're family-owned and operated since 1933, and it shows it's run and it's managed with love and affection. This is a labor of love for the Zdralovich family. So again, help them out. Go visit our friends in Crest Hill. Marishkas, marishkas.com. That's M-E-R-I-C-H-K-S. 
A-S. Hit them up. Go support local small business. All right, got a question here from Tyler. Tyler says, am I crazy to think that this new transparency movement has actually helped Jeremy Calton relay to fans his coaching style and process? I want to say I'm starting to understand him as a coach more, but then again, maybe I'm just being crazy. <laughs> well, of course, we could always, you know, just default to that. Like, ah, you're nuts. <laughs> I, I think that it is interesting seeing the transparency kind of being emphasized here. And I know that you and I are under no illusions that we're going to get 100% transparency and we're going to understand every single thing that's going to happen at the coaching level and at the executive level with this team. But I, I have kind of enjoyed that too. And like, I, I'm not going to say like I agree with everything that Stan Bowman is doing, of course, and I don't agree with everything that Jeremy Colleton is doing. I do like the idea of them kind of presenting those strategies and those thoughts in a way that kind of like makes you kind of reconsider your own kind of predetermined beliefs, I guess you would say. And we got that a lot with Stan during our interview with him. And I think that's happening with Jeremy Colleton too. And I do think it's good for a hockey fan to kind of think about that stuff and to kind of chew it over and to just think about how it kind of jibes with their own opinions of the guy. And I do I think that's a good thing, and I think that's only a good thing, and you're certainly not alone in feeling that way when it comes to kind of evaluating what Jeremy Colleton has to say. That doesn't mean that you have to become the president of his fan club. I do think it's a good thing, though, that you're kind of being confronted with those things and that you do have to kind of think about it. Well, it, it also it, it informs the way we watch the team and the way we react to the team. For instance, if they had not done this transparency tour, right, and then the season begins and Adam Boquist is in Rockford. Everyone's like, what the hell? What's he doing? How is he in Rockford? What Does he suck? Is he bad? They think he's a bust? No. We have clear communication from them that they see spending some time in Rockford can be beneficial to development. And so, like, just that's one example of the many things they've said is that Rockford is not necessarily a punishment. If a guy has to sit for a game or gets sent down for a few games, it doesn't mean that they're being punished. It doesn't mean they're a bust. They just think that at that precise moment in time, it's the best thing for their development. The other thing I like about it, and we said this to Sam Bowman, is now that it's on record, now that they've stated everything they've, they want to do and what their plan is, everything they do from that moment on will be looked at with the lens of what they said. And I reference this a lot. The Bulls said years ago they want to get younger and more athletic, and then they went and signed Dwayne Wade. That is incongruent to younger and more athletic, right? So now if the Blackhawks want to bring in a 35-year-old slow defenseman, that's against what they said they're going to do. But if they sign someone like Matthias Janmark or Lucas Walmark or whoever, and you say, well, that's not a young player, that's not developing, well, it's a 25-year-old guy with a lot of hockey in front of them that's already sort of developed on the young side of their career. Okay, that makes sense towards the plan. So I just think that it helps you put the puzzle pieces together and it also prevents some of the giant conspiracy theories that we've come up with over the years. And it's not just us, it's everybody. Because when you have no information, you're just left guessing on everything. And sometimes your guess is a good enough guess where it becomes in your mind truth Mm-hmm. And it might not be the transparency is good. It has to continue. And they, ha- and now that they've said it, they're going to be held to that standard. And to me, I love that as a guy that analyzes the team. Now that they've said specifically several times what they want to do, that gives you and I, I don't want to use the word ammunition, 
but it gives what I'm saying is it gives us the the something to compare every move from here on out to. So certainly gives us the proper context with which to evaluate everything. Absolutely. You said you have a question from Twitter. I do. Uh, Sandra Muir. Muir. I yep. can never. I don't know her last name. How to pronounce it? That is. But she frequent uh, contributor to kind of our discourse on Twitter. Fan of the show. Asked me this today in the wake of the news that Theo Epstein has stepped down as the president of baseball operations of the Cubs. But James, what if Theo ends up being the Blackhawks' next president? He certainly wouldn't just be another NHL retread or whatever it was the organization <laughs> said a few months ago. Jay, is he going to be the new John McDonough? <laughs> is he? No, probably not. Would I be down for it if he was? Hell yes. Yes, that's a dude who knows how to run an organization and knows how to hire people that know how to run an organization. That would be fascinating. Fascinating to see that dude come from one sport to another. I don't think he has any interest in hockey at all. But right. to dream about that, and and Mike had a similar question. Is there any news on a team president? No, there's not, and there never will be. Stop asking about it, jerks. Um, but I, I, they never will have another team president. <laughs> you know, the real, te- the real team president is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> As always, yes. But I would be down for Theo. That would be awesome. And and I wonder, like, would he – this is such a pipe dream – but would he do hockey moves? Like, would he be the hockey czar, or would he just say, okay – I'm the president and I'm going to determine how everybody here is doing. I think he could totally do it. I think he could totally do it, but I'd rather see him instead of Blackhawks president. How about president in 2024? Cause oh, yeah. I think politics, I'm not saying in four years, he's ready to be president of the United States. That's hyperbole. But I think that something in the political arena is in his future. Uh, you could see Theo Epstein becoming a, a fast mover. It would be the democratic party. Cause that's what he is. But you're looking for a young and exciting face of your of your political party. There you go. In terms of politics, Theo Epstein's like six years old. Right. <laughs> so well, I, th- I think th- one of the first things that kind of came up to me when this happened was I wondered if he was maybe considering taking a role in the incoming Biden administration. Like that was something that immediately stood out to me. Like, I'm not sure what kind of role that would be, obviously. But in his letter to Cubs, uh, like his Cubs colleagues, it does make it sound like he wants to kind of focus on his charitable endeavors and kind of growing the game of baseball in the coming years. And it makes it sound like he does eventually want to jump back in to an executive role with some team. Sorry, Mets fans. (laughs) And it does, it seems like he kind of wants to stay in that space. But I think the thing that we've learned about Theo Epstein is that dude can probably do anything he wants to do. Like he's a very smart well-reasoned, very interesting and multi-layered guy. And he could definitely do anything he wants. And I think that does include running the Blackhawks or one of the other things that I thought of, how about running the Bears? How about taking over that Ted Phillips role and getting that thing finally turned around? Can you imagine how much of a legend he would be if he got the Cubs a World Series and the Bears a Super Bowl? Like, they would name the city after him if he did that. I mean – I often think, like, what more can he accomplish? He ended the Red Sox and Cubs curses. Like, that's a lifetime. And for him, he could be like, screw it, I'm retiring. I have nothing more to do. And he would be in the Hall of Fame in five years. Yes, and there would probably be an award named after him for the rest of eternity. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, whatever he wants to do, he, he will do it and can do it with 
gusto. So I'm excited to see what's next for him, as long as it's not with the Cardinals. That's my one caveat. <sighs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you? Don't, you know what? Don't. Do not imagine it. Don't imagine it. I don't want it to happen. All right, I won't. All right, I got one more question here from David. He says, going forward, do you see the Hawks as a team built around Patrick Kane for the foreseeable future? I've seen arguments that the Cup Hawks teams were built around Taves and Keith with Kane supplementing them. Some fancy stack guys have told me that it's no surprise that Kane's usage and point totals have gone up. The Hawks have become, since then, point totals have gone up. The Hawks have become a worse team. If that's the case, would the Hawks be better off sacrificing some Kane production and focusing on building as strong a first line as possible without Kane? Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. And yes, Patrick Kane's numbers are huge because he's being leaned on so heavily. He's on the ice constantly. He's putting up defenseman minutes. And he's kind of he's kind of been a one man show offensively. I the idea of building depth around Patrick Kane is a good one. I think that could work. And we saw um, is it Daryl Belfry is that his name who wrote the book with Scott Powers saying that he thinks Kane can play into his fifties. Yeah, can I mean, you imagine that? It, look, it's not a guy you're going to be able to uh, rely on to be a number one scorer into his into his forties or fifties. But I think Patrick Kane's got another ten years of hockey in him at least. Yager played he, to what? He's he going to Yarmir Yager that. What was Yager, 47? I believe that's correct. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, the way he plays, his style of play, he doesn't rely on breakaway speed, right? He he Kane's game is skill with the stick and savvy. Those are the things that make him the great player he is. Uh, and obviously, he's fast enough. But when you talk about the fastest skaters in hockey, he's never on that list. I just think that you could see that guy playing for a long time. So I think building around Kane is probably not the right thing to do. What you need to determine is who is the guy to start building around? Do they have that guy yet? Is it Kirby Doc? We're not totally sure yet, but that's the question is who is the guy going forward the Hawks need to build around? I I think the obvious answer to that question really does seem like Kirby Doc, right? I mean, he pretty clearly is on a fast track to – take over the number one center job eventually from Jonathan Taves. And I feel like they're trying to use him in a variety of roles in an effort to get him closer to that destination. I I think that that was kind of the plan all along for him was to be a top six center. And I think that the way his development is progressing and obviously next season's going to go a long way toward determining this, it really does seem like they're kind of grooming him for that role. And I think that ultimately at the end of the day with some of the decisions the Blackhawks are going to have to make in terms of the salary cap and in terms of their roster construction, I think a lot of it does boil down to the development of Kirby Doc, and I think they're probably going to end up putting a good amount of eggs in that basket, and I could see them trying to basically, I know this is going to be blasphemous as hell, so please forgive this. Are they going to look at this situation as we should build this group around guys like Kirby Doc and Alex DeBrincat in a similar way to the way we built around Taves and Kane? Right, like kind of the the center who's kind of capable of doing everything and the winger who's capable of putting up big goal totals and completely changing the way that defenses have to approach your offense, right? Like that, that to me seems like kind of a likely scenario. And it's interesting because 
it's likely that Taves and Kane are probably going to be along for that too. So having those guys in here as well, it definitely makes for some interesting decision-making. But I think the one thing we can definitely agree on is that it does seem like Kirby Doc is being groomed for that number one center role and kind of that Jonathan Taves role on the ice for the Blackhawks. I cannot wait to see Kirby Doc uh, in a full season as the two center. I cannot wait to see his development next year because what I saw from him during the playoffs was totally encouraging, 100% positive. And if those are the jumps he's making at age 19, dude, <laughs> the future is very bright for that guy. I just don't know if he's got the production in him. That's the thing is we haven't seen from him the finish. And that's the one thing I need to see from Kirby Doc for me to believe that he is this team's number one center for the next 10 years. If he can start putting the puck in the net and start finishing some of those brilliant plays he starts, the sky is the limit. But that's what you got to see. You've got to see the finish. I've seen a lot of guys with all the tools but just could not put the puck in the back of the net. When I start seeing that red light go off, I will have full and total belief in Kirby Dak. Right now I'm at 95%. I need to see the puck go in the net more from him before it's at 100. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. One more reminder, ahead of the holidays here, make sure you check out our merchandise shop, madhousepodmerch.com, for your hoodies, for your T-shirts, for your tanks, for your baseball tees. All Madhouse Pod products are at madhousepodmerch.com. And if you'd like a signed copy, a signed personalized copy of my book, Head to madhousepod.com slash book to order your copy. I will ship it out to you as soon as you order. I throw it in the mail as soon as I have time to print everything out and get it all shipped to the post office, usually within a day or two. So uh, I just want to make sure with this caveat, the USPS will be stressed more than ever this holiday season. So make sure you get those orders in early. Madhousepod.com slash book. With that, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop. With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile. Empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Excludes sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See MetroByTMobile.com. What you doing? Trying on glasses with Zenny's 3D Virtual Try-On. Wow, that's pretty cool. But those glasses kind of make you look like your Uncle Bob. Oh, not exactly the look I was going for. Um, okay, how about these clear glasses? Oh, or these round ones? Very on trend. I like both on you. You know, I also like these aviator sunglasses. Wait, are those the actual prices? I say get all of them. Seriously, why not, right? Oh, now I want new glasses. Zenny.com. Quality prescription glasses starting at 695